0: and welcome back to another episode of the third impact anime podcast my name is ryan and i'll be hosting this episode and today i am joined by two wonderful people who i have not actually had an episode with in quite some time i've got bill hey and i've also got tobias with me i'm also bill you are also but oh yeah you are that's right forgot about that
1: technically i'm a bill
0: (laughs) yep technically you are a bill so basically the third impact anime podcast is now uh bill's bizarre adventure so we got a we got a <laughs> bunch of bills just running around doing wacky stuff.
2: So many, so many interesting. Bill, cameras. Bill, Lion.
0: <laughs> you guys been up to anything special? I know there's been a lot of shows that we've been watching this season, which is why we're all here.
1: Well, yeah, just start trying to keep up on, uh, you know, keep up on anime. Still working hard, hardly working, uh, all that <laughs> nonsense. Yep. Same old, same old. Making it, making it through 2021. I mean, it's,
2: it's been a, it's been an engaging season. It's unlike. Um... Most seasons that I only find, like, one show, I've found, like, three or four shows that I've been really into.
0: Yeah, a uh, bunch of people that I know in another Discord, we, um, we get together on Saturdays and we pick a show or two per season to watch. And this time we had, like, a lot of people watching a lot of different things. And believe it or not, no, we did not watch Odd Taxi because we didn't find out that it was actually, like, incredible until, like, halfway through the season. And by then we were already committed to our two shows. <laughs> um but yeah this this was a very very stacked season and uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about what about seven shows from this season and i i personally think that like there's probably way more than just the seven that we're mentioning because we got a limited time here and we like we all have adult things to do we can't be watching every everything every season but i'll go ahead and start us off um First thing I watched this season was uh, those Snow White notes and quick uh, quick plot summary of that is after his grandfather passes away, this character named Setsu gets depressed and stops having a passion for playing the Shamisen and he moves away to Tokyo and drops out of high school. Uh, reason for this is because his grandfather had told him to stop playing because he lacked the voice to make the instrument his own, like he hadn't found his sound yet, that he was just trying to copy his grandfather's, and he basically said, until you find your sound, don't play again, which I found kind of weird because if you don't play, how are you going to find your sound? But basically, the beginning of the show was depression, as is a lot of shows, and uh, he eventually re-enrolled in a high school in Tokyo and joined a club about the shamisen where he taught... Uh, a young girl, among others, how to play, and this show stuck out to me immediately from the first episode because of how good the musical sections are. Like yeah. at least at least twice an episode, there's like a two to three minute segment where there's either like singing or playing of some sort, and it is always just incredible. Like I can imagine, for yeah, sure. and like I'm. I was never really like a huge fan of the shamisen because like I'm not Japanese. So I never really listened to it, (laughs) but like, honestly, after this, I have kind of started to look up like certain um, shamisen things because it's just, it was super fascinating to see how complex this like ancient instrument is first of all, and also just to incorporate it with art as well as they did. Like while they're playing the shamisen certain times, the character will get like lost in the music, and you'll start to see like a scene of like the ocean or like a snowfield. Somebody walking through it of birds, you know, typical artsy stuff. Yeah. And exactly. it was really good. There was one particular uh, musical piece in episode two where he plays a duet with his brother. And it's basically like the brothers were dueling with each other through the song. And it was just insane. Like I I watched that literally like three times when I was watching that episode.
1: So so I know that we're all, you know, Japanophiles here, but uh, just for the sake of anyone listening at home, that's not really familiar with the shamisen. uh, Maybe you want to give it a brief description of what, what this, this ding dang thing is.
0: It is a three stringed guitar.
1: Basically. It has
0: these, pegs that you stick into the top that wind the cords there's like a thick one a medium thick one and a baby thick one um i don't know what it's called either but it has it's got like a giant pick that you play with it as well like you grip it with your entire hand and you pluck the strings with it i don't know what it's called i should have looked that up
1: i've heard it compared to a spatula and i think that's yeah no that's that's not the official translation spatula i think works pretty well to describe it
0: yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much what it is. It's called a bachi. I just looked it up. Um and yeah, it literally looks like a rice scoop. Like <laughs> yeah. You gr- you grip it with your entire hand. That's how big this thing is also. And you play the you play the strings with that. And like watching both the anime and real life people doing it is just insane. Like it is such a great instrument and it sounds incredible. Like the sound they're able to get out of these three stringed instruments is ridiculous, and the speed that some of these masters play at is insanity. Hey!
1: Anyways, you know, guitar is kind of the first comparison, but I think uh, maybe a more apt. The way I think about it is more like a like a Japanese banjo. Mm. Yeah. In that's, the way that it sounds.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually a lot more accurate.
1: It, it, it's got a bit of a percussive element, kind of like a uh, banjo does as well. So it, it sounds goofy when you say you know an ancient banjo, but you know, if you've seen any sort of culture, if you've heard any you know traditional Japanese music, you certainly have heard a shamisen and can. Yeah, you know, if you want to go watch a YouTube video right now, you surely will will know exactly what this.
2: Uh, is. Ryan, quick question for you. Um when it comes to um music in anime, it can be hard to animate sometimes just the the movement of the fingers and whatnot. So do they use a, like a lot of cheats or kind of like a lot of larger shots of them playing like how does it look when it when he's playing the instrument?
0: So it's funny you mention that cuz they actually have like, specifically fingering. They actually have a lot of close-up shots of him, like, going ham on the thing. Like, moving his fingers at, like, warp mm-hmm. speed. And the same with the, uh, Bachi. And, um, when it's just, like, a profile of them playing, you can see their individual fingers moving. Like, it's it's very well animated. Mm-hmm. The thing for me this sh- with this show, actually, is ba- it's based off of a manga. And, um, to me, the music was such a big part of it. I really don't understand how people could appreciate the manga as much as they've seemed to, like it's gotten 25 volumes. Like it's very, very long going. Um, but without the actual music, unless it's like a pop-up book where you like turn the page and it starts playing a song, I feel like there's going to be like a <laughs> lot of uh, passion missed out with like from reading it as opposed to watching and listening.
1: Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. And I think about it, you know, there's a couple uh musical manga i think like uh, nodame cantabile was the one from you know like 10 years or so yeah uh, at this point yeah yeah you're right you know? i that's, that's an interesting thing i never really thought about yeah i was
0: thinking about that when i was walking my dog today i was just like it's a great show like don't get me wrong but i really don't understand how it has 25 volumes of manga and it's only just now getting animated because the music was the biggest takeaway from this show for me. Like hands down. No questions asked.
1: Interesting. So uh, this is uh, this is what is a one core show. Uh, so far. Like, yeah so I was going to say. Do, does it, do you feel like there's going to be more seasons
0: coming? I'd be surprised if there's not. Like I said it's got 25 volumes of content. And I didn't even look yeah. up where the show. Ended at in the manga. But it can't have been more than like volume 4. Maybe 5. Like at the very most.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I'd I'd definitely be down to watch more of this though. Like if they announce
1: the second season of this, I will immediately pick it up. The whole thing's framed around a uh you know a typical high school club, how did they play that? Is it just kinda your your you know tropey high school situation or
0: not know? exactly. Like it that was the th- that was the thing that worried me about it because I the first episode was really good because it didn't involve high school at all. Like, it was literally just the guy's backstory and why he ran away to Tokyo. And it basically developed into high school because his mom found him and she's like a rich CEO. It was like, hey, uh, you got to go to school because I'm your mom and you got to do what I say. Um, so he finds this girl who was listening to a recording of her grandmother singing a song that his deceased grandfather had written. And it turns out that his grandfather, while he was in the process of writing the song, which he had done over the course of, like, 30 years of his life, had played it at one point for the girl's grandmother. And she described it as so beautiful that she wanted to hear it again before she died. So he Mm -hmm. attempted to replay it for the grandmother and um, then bonded with the girl and said, like, I'll teach your club to play the shamisen. And it was interesting to see him, like, develop as a teacher because he was only ever around people who were, like, insanely good at the instrument. So he got a little Mm -hmm. frustrated with them and had some clashes with this other grandmaster of the Shamisen. Um, It wasn't so much focused around school, which I was actually very glad about. Because a lot of shows, when they get focused around school, tend to fall flat to me. Like, I'm kind of... Oh yeah, I like more plot than
1: school. If that makes sense. Oh, no, for sure. Like when we think of a show like this, yes, you have the high school element, but it's really about, in this case, the musicianship, the the the, the instrument, you know, the playing, the the music, and the whatnot. So to, to to hear that they focus more on that than the high school drama is very encouraging for me to hear.
0: Yeah, um, the most high school thing that they did in it was like halfway through the season, they got involved with a shamisen competition. Then he had to teach them to like succeed at a basic level at the shamisen so they could win this competition and earn money for their club and everything. And that was like the most high school thing, but that's also where the development really started off.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I didn't hear anybody talk about those really unfortunate. Uh, I thought it really is. even something which, which to me seems really cool. And I, I like the way it sounds, you know, occasionally you'll see a reference to some of this in, in anime and whatnot. And it's always been kind of intriguing to me. Uh, it's definitely something I want to go back and check out.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll say kind of on this note is a, a YouTube channel I follow uh, called Tokyo Lens. Uh, so, you know, white guy in Japan filming various parts of the country uh, for, you know, for preservation purposes. He just did a video recently on a shamisen uh, shop. A, a place that makes these instruments still and sells them, and kind of did an interview with the people that you know—the the guy that owns the store, as well as some of the people that work there and play these traditional instruments. So, uh, I would highly recommend checking that out if you want to see maybe how see maybe see more of the um, the the like the context of sort of a modern shamisen, uh, you know, shop or musician.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, the um, they kind of touched on it a little bit, like the modern day shamisen like it they uh they had a part at the beginning where he got youtube famous because he um impromptu played a shamisen for like a crowd and they were just like floored by it and then this girl found like a busted up shamisen that she then tried to uh repair and they went to like a music shop and everything and there's like a i guess in japan it would be more popular than it would be here but like yeah they they had shamisen stuff in uh in the music in the music shop so it's like not uncommon there but i don't know if i would call it common either because you know you're looking through the focal point of this show that is about the shamisen so
1: exactly yeah Uh, one thing i thought was neat looking at at, at, that interview was that the shop is starting to make more like cheaper versions made out of cardboard uh rather than try to sell you a you know like a thousand dollar instrument yeah because they're made made out out of like solid wood (laughs) Exactly. And like they look just looking at the way they, they had the construction of the videos, like really professionally, uh, like really, you know, a lot of work goes into making these. So to have a, a sort of cheaper version I, you know, sort of he had he actually had like one that was made out of cardboard, but also plugged into an amp. So like an electric shamisen. <laughs> well, to make an electric instrument,
0: all you need is a circuit board. It doesn't necessarily need to be um, made out of anything specific. There are ways to make it sound better. But, you know, if you're if you're going for cheap. Yeah, that's that's a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I
1: think it was in this case it was just a little microphone uh, hooked up to like you know a, a, a speaker wire to an amp. That's pretty much what it is. But nothing else. I think it was cool that they were selling you know sort of cheap versions more for more amateur players or beginner players. And I think it's something that well you know I, I can't see a Xiaomi's ever leaving Japan. Yeah, and a it uh, matter of relevancy. I still think it's neat. You know, as a as a Westerner here in North Carolina, I think it's a really cool instrument. Yeah.
0: Didn't they have um, at E3 a couple of years ago, I think it was the Sony um, the Sony presentation, didn't they have a Shamasen player come to like hype one of the games?
2: That was probably
0: tied to Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, they had a flute for that. Oh, never mind. I know what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I'm thinking of that, and they had a guitar player come to hype up uh, Last of Us 2. But,
1: Possibly, yeah.
0: Yeah, same general concept, but yeah. Uh,
1: up until the more recent years, Animazement has had a Taiko group and they brought a you know, Shambison player with them. So that's that's really where I've kind of heard it primarily in, in real life is the anime concerts. Uh, we'll see if they come back this next year. I know that uh, the past few years they haven't been able to come with a couple of restrictions and travel visas, but maybe in a year or two when things return to normal normal, uh, we'll be able to hear some taiko music
0: Yeah, in Raleigh. That'd be very cool. All right, I guess uh, that's a good wrap on uh, Mashiro no Odo or the Snow White Notes. Device, I know you and Bill both watched this next one. You want to go ahead and introduce it?
1: Yeah, so we had a, a couple of original shows and new stuff, uh, like Amashira no Ota, but there were also a lot of sequel series. I guess. Oh, so
0: you're obviously going to be talking about My Hero
1: Academia? <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Uh, well, no, rather when you think of like stuff like that, like My Hero, it's a it's an obvious continuation. You know, it's the same thing, but it just continues on. But there's been a couple, like a couple shows this which are distinctly sequeled, uh, and by that uh, the two I want to first start, off, start us off with uh, the first one being Zombieland Saga Revenge Yeah, so this uh, picks up a few months after the original. Uh, I think it might even be a. a no, I think it might, yeah, it's, it's a couple, almost a full year after the original. Uh, it, it picks up in a weird place where some time has passed uh, after the uh, final show from season one. The girls attempt to do another big concert at a huge auditorium that. Yeah, it's like them going to play like. Uh Wimb-
2: Wimbledon or the O2 Arena or Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. and them only being able to fill out like the first row or so.
1: Yeah. So uh that that it uh, colossal failure happening, but uh Kotaru played again by uh what was his name? Momoro Miyano or whatever? People have talked about this guy so much I have completely forgotten. Momoro Miyano. I think I think his big claim to fame was like the guy from Death Note, yeah, he was light in Death Note. People know who this guy is. I, I would never watch Death Note, so all I know about this guy is he screams a lot. But anyway, uh, the main character Kotaro, he's still on the hook for renting out this huge stadium. Uh, so the uh, our, our girl band Friend Chu Chu is in debt. They are completely uh, lost their fans for the most part. Their will to to continue performing as a idol group. And that's where we start off with them sort of coming back, deciding they're gonna get revenge on um their 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 fate, I guess. Not really anybody, in particular, just the stuff that's happened to them. And reinvigorate uh friend Choo Choo and, and and you know, come back into the scene. I think the biggest thing we were expecting from season one to two is we wanted to get more of the stories for the individual characters that we hadn't got. And we we do for the most part. We get um uh, we get a whole Yugiri two episode arc. We get a whole uh,
0: so basically, it gave a lot of characters more time in the spotlight as opposed to like just focusing on the core few. Yeah, I, I
2: feel like this the season was very much like. Did you like having those character moments with the characters from franchise in season one? Here's more of that, and, and I think for just kind of talking amongst ourselves. I really enjoyed this because as someone that has watched a lot of Idolmaster, Idol shows, that's what you kind of go for those shows for, is just like more character moments. Whereas I think, tell me if I'm wrong, Tobias, but the kind of novelty that came with the first season wore off because I feel like this second season was very much a traditional Idol show.
1: Yeah, people kind of were a little down on this, and I admit I was too. Uh, I didn't really stick with it. Um, you know, week to week, either, and kind of looking back on it, I have to wonder why exactly what it is. So when I look at the original Zombie Land saga, I think what caught me was both the quick humor tied to them being zombies. Sure, you had your traditional idol sort of character growth and these um, these young upstarts becoming you know celebrities and becoming uh, competent people in their own right. Also, with the idea of bringing awareness to the the, the area around the land of Saga, uh, so like those three elements really tie together the first season very, very well. And this one, when I think about it, I think the main thing that it suffers from is just the the fact that there's zombies isn't really used to great effect anymore. It's kind of an offhand joke, but it's it, the joke's kind of worth them. Uh, I, the The big plot device here was that we find that. Uh, Gotaru has been working with a uh, immortal necromancer, uh, Jofuku, uh, I believe his name is, to sort of bring about or stop rather a prophecy tied to the land of Saga. And we find a sort of why he's resurrected our our girls to bring back the idol group. Uh, we unfortunately, you know, sort of sort of spoiler warning: we don't really see a complete resolution by that by the end. Although um, I think the emotional arc does tie off in a nice bow. Uh, at least up until the last 10 seconds of the, the last episode, it ties together pretty well. Uh, I did I did appreciate the fact that we got more of the stories from the girls. We did get the two-part Yugiri episode, which I liked. Uh, I heard a lot of people complain because it was kind of about Yugiri's uh, old friends.
2: I, I think the problem with that episode that I had was it was a bit jarring. Because it didn't fit within mm. the the this this season and the past season we had watched. So it was a bit jarring to go from one type of story to another. And it was hard to, I think probably for people, it was hard to be invested in these characters that you're barely going to meet. Right, right.
1: I think it was neat that they brought back the other girls as little cameo bits. Uh, just kind of have them. I thought that was a little cute thing to do. Uh, I, I didn't mind so much myself since I was, I was just ecstatic to get more information on Yugiri, Period. Uh, we didn't get anything on her in season one, barely any characterization uh, at all, other than she's you know from the fetal, uh, in this case, Meiji Restoration uh, era of Japan. Uh, so I was just happy to get anything from her. And we were able to get some story uh, from that, which is good. Uh, we do find that, like I mentioned, the uh, necromancer Jufuku is actually based on a real character, uh, the character of the Chinese alchemist Zufu, who historically was looking for. Uh, the, like the the gift of life, the elixir of life, rather, or uh, immortality. So I think that was it was a neat thing for them to bring that into this story. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the Eye and Junko stuff, like the where Iron Frill or not Iron Frill, but that other idol group shows up and tries you, to you challenge them. You got the them. you
2: got the name right. It was Iron Frill, and that they were basically trying to convince Junko, uh, uh, yeah, the other one, that, uh, the, uh, the, to come like and that. join their group. And I think. Just it was the hard part for Juka was just her characterization is always kind of a warrior and it's hard to be invested with that. And I and for me, the overall story was hard to be kind of invested in because it was kinda of, I don't know, it it felt very kind of slapdash to me. I was more invested in those individual character episodes, like the episode with Tai Chan going shopping yeah. by herself. Was amazing, uh, and where she yeah, where she has the dance battle, episode. so so fun, <laughs> was so good. And I also yeah. loved the, the best episode it was probably Lily's solo episode, where, hmm. yep, um, completely agree. Where she gets, uh, um, she has to compete with the voice of Conan from Detective Conan, which was amazing, and nice, <laughs> yeah, Conan Conan Drought. Um where he performs the song that she was that she was going to sing and she has to come up with a remix like on the spot and it was yeah. just fun to see her just like I got this and even though she didn't win, um she really won the crowd over. And uh just that kind of the upbeat spirit with that character is always just very engaging.
1: I really liked how they brought that back in the, the last few episodes after the flood happens. And she's they're doing it to sort of keep the kids occupied and not worrying mm. uh, about the situation. Yeah, I think that really ties back into what the whole point of the show is. It's very much, uh, you know, the uh, idols as a whole are not just singers. They are, they are actual idols. They're part of the community. Uh, they are very much there to be... Uh, the, you know, they are for their audience and they're for the people they sing to and this ties really well into what Zombieland Saga is all about is them trying to bring awareness to but also encourage and give life to the people in Saga so to see how she turned that, that around, even though she didn't win necessarily, to turn that into encourage the children uh, I thought that was really cool.
2: And also just that it's not through their singing or dancing ability that connected them with their prefecture of saga but them helping out the citizens during the flood entertaining the children um um working in the food kitchen uh, doing that type of work where it's them connecting one-on-one with the community and not just through their idle abilities Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah, overall, you know, when I look at it as a whole, I don't, I can't really think of any specific complaints exactly. I think maybe the pacing was a little off. I think what really killed it for me, like the one episode I, I, I hated that really almost made me just drop the show, was the My My episode. <laughs> There's just a random girl they bring into us, and she's kind of an annoying character to begin with. But like, she joins Choo Choo for one whole episode, uh, and drops at the end of it. And I get why they had her. They, you know, that she was inspired by Sakura in the same way that Sakura was inspired by I. Like, I get why they did it, and I do appreciate later when Sakura goes to Kotaro and and sort of talks about that. I get it, but I feel like as a whole episode, it was just. Oh, well, it was.
2: I think it was probably hard to engage because it's kind of a stereotype of just it's the overzealous, overexcited fan, and. Yeah, and kind of. I think what for you, and I'm being psychoanalyst doctor, is the the novelty <laughs> wore off because, as you said, the zombie part wasn't really emphasized, and it became more of a traditional idol show. And if you liked idol shows, I think you liked Zombieland Saga for the most part. But if you were really into the novelty and kind of the more absurd jokes. Of the first season, you're gonna be let down. Uh, not to say this season wasn't good. Yeah. I think they still nailed the character moments in those individualistic episodes, but overall, compared to the first season, I'd say this is a a bit of a letdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it feels kind of weird to complain, but compared to the other shows, like the next one we're gonna talk about, it just I don't. I really like the first season of Zombieland saga. Like, I really like the first season of Megalobox. And to see both of these shows get a second season, and one is just kind of there, while the other really flourishes, and it eh, kind of disappointed me in a weird way. And uh, I don't really want to, I don't know if I want to spoil the last, you know, the very last scene, but what the hell, man? What? That,
0: that, that, that what? last scene what made happened? no sense to so me. So you, you were
1: very upset then? it was I I, during the whole last episode I was like okay finally the emotional resolution like I get it I get why Franchuchu is so important it makes sense and then right at the last 10 seconds they drop something and we don't have a season 3 confirmed yet we don't know if there's if we're actually going to get a follow up to what happens we don't know if it's going to be a panty and stocking situation where the studio dies and we never get anything what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I I didn't like that ending. Um it
2: was it hell? was so jarring because it's like oh, it's like the ending of Macross of just like they're having their idol concert, everyone's happy. <laughs> we we wrapped up, we wrapped it up and I and unlike another show we're going to talk about, I I really just did not like the ending here.
1: Dude. It just didn't make any sense. So, so is Ugh.
2: this
0: is this a rap though, or is it gonna continue? I, I feel
1: it's a
2: rap because it's like they've did their concert and where are they gonna go beyond the prefecture of saga and like compete with other larger idol groups? I don't know. I mean you could
0: Well that's what that's huh? what Zombieland
2: Beyond is gonna be about. <laughs> that that would be the name <laughs> of the third season, it would be like beyond. Uh <laughs>
1: Uh, one one thing I thought was pretty cool, somebody uh, mentioned that, you know, what we find out basically in this is that you know, the land of Saga is, is destiny is tied to uh, the cultural awareness. And there's a whole aspect of necromancy and that's, that's tied to Saga itself. So when we look at the title, it is literally a zombie land that's called Saga. <laughs> I'd still say go watch it. If if you watched the first one, maybe you're holding off on it. If you didn't, I still think season one is great, and season two is not hmm. bad. Uh, I would still say check it out. Don't let, don't let me uh you know, to persuade you away from it. Just uh, keep your expectations. Yeah, for, if you liked
2: interacting with those characters and want more time with those characters, mm-hmm. I highly recommend. Uh, Revenge and c- certain individual episodes really shine. Like I mentioned, the Lily and, and Tai Chan we episode were really good.
1: We great. didn't even mention the the Saki episode with the uh, the radio broadcaster with the big old pompadour, straight out
2: of Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's like that was like episode two or three, really, really um, early in the season, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, he
2: could have been a space dandy character.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... But, anyways, let's move on there. Um, We already sort of dropped the uh, the spoiler on what we're going to talk about next. Uh, That being Nomad, Megalobox 2. Bill, you want to take this one away?
2: I know Odd Taxi was the any Twitter darling of the season, but Megalobox 2 is my show of the season. Because it progresses in a different way. Because if if we look at this as like a, a traditional boxing show, they could have just reset it and be like, there's a new challenger that that um that Joe has to fight, and he's even tougher. But this second season added a lot of depth to its storytelling, where Joe is had a traumatic event and he's dealing with drug addiction and the guilt of what happened, and him trying to get past that and, re- and repair his relationships with everyone we, we know and love from season one. And there's there's layers to that story that we're just so engaging. On top of what was going on with Joe, there's a little side story of kind of a commentary on immigration, which I was yeah. shocked to see in, um, in the series because Japan, um, with its own laws, is very restrictive on immigration. So I was kind of surprised to see that here. Um, yep. And just everyone dealing with the ramifications of what happened in the past and not everyone being okay with it and people resenting Joe and being like, you put us in a really bad spot and we're really angry at you. It's not like a typical anime where they're like, oh, we have to um, resolve this in one episode. They really took their time with that, Um, which I really appreciated. And, um, just as a character piece, um, I felt it was excellent.
1: I didn't watch this as it was coming out, unfortunately. Uh, I'm really kicking myself for not doing so now, but like what I, what, what, what really gets me is like the first, the first few episodes, the first four or five episodes are about you know, a couple years down the road. I think it's like five or six years from the end of Megalobox one. Uh, we don't find out exactly what happened but joe is sort of on the on the road traveling he's doing uh he's doing fixed megalobox fights uh, he's like taking uh, painkillers heavily
2: yeah addicted to, addicted to meds basically
1: yeah like he's he is things have gone downhill for him we don't see nanbu the trainer we don't see sachio it's just him and he's running away from his past and you know we slowly reveal that you know for whatever reason somehow nanbu's dead. Everyone hates him. He's running away from the situation. And while he's doing this, he runs into what looks to be like a um, a, a couple of like, Latin immigrants, which have moved into whatever whatever city they're in. I don't think they're in Japan specifically. Uh, I'm not sure if Megalobox ever says exactly what country they're in. But like he's seeing these, these immigrants sort of bullied around by the locals. And their icon chief, uh, who's trying to buy the land that they're currently uh, living on, so they can stay there forever. And just the the recurring motif of the hummingbird, uh, the equilibri, and the nomad they keep bringing in. The way that that mythology from these immigrants gets bundled into Joe. God, it, this show is just so fucking good, man. Like I'm gonna be honest with you, it is so different than the first season. Like the first season is so much of like your traditional bike sports thing. It's the underdog story. This guy living on the edge of society. Sticking it to the man and sticking it to the, like the the rich people. I think they can walk all over and coming out victorious, even you know broken at the end, but victorious. And this show is about the aftermath of that. You know, once your victory is achieved, what now? What life still goes yeah, on. And
2: he, with what's going on with Nabu, he's feeling like, well, I have to continue this success, and he feels that pressure of just, oh, everyone, we need to maintain that happiness and not give into the pressure and he, eventually he just explodes and running away from his situation. And like you said, the, the boxing was a main focal point in the first season where it's barely in the second season where this, this show is yeah. much more of a character piece examining where Joe yeah. is at mentally and emotionally and him trying to find his way back. And I have to admire them because they could have just repeated the same formula that they did in season one. But no, they took it in a whole new, different approach. And I believe that this, that first season was just going to be a one and done. And as like an anniversary Mm -hmm. project and they were
1: going to be done, but they were able to come back and tell a whole different story. You are completely correct. Uh, I was coming into this expecting just more boxing. And maybe it was a maybe not disappointed, but I I didn't really keep up because it was obvious they were going in a darker direction. But once that first arc is over and once Joe goes back to make things right back home, that's when I realized how much of a master stroke that was. If they had just if they had begun episode one and talked about how how Nanbu died and how things happened, it would have been a sad story like in Zombie Land But the fact that we we find out about Joe and we see Joe decide to come back before we find out the full story. I mean, hell, we don't even find out the full story until like the last few episodes when uh, we find more about what happens between him and Sachio. Like it's such, such a great, great way to tell that story and to see Joe grow, not as a boxer, as a trainer this time. And to see these, you know, the way he interacts with, uh, what was it? Lou, uh, Yuri's Mm -hmm. student. And, like, okay, we've talked about how great it is so far, but, like, let's talk about Mac. Like, holy shit, Mac's story was but perfect.
2: I have one complaint with his storyline, though. Okay. In, I think it's, I don't know what episode he's introduced, but that episode he's introduced, they basically jam his story into one episode. And I really didn't like that because it felt rushed. I, I know they probably mm-hmm. were probably under under a budget constraint and the number of episodes they were able to produce, but it seemed like they were just rushing to get his story going. Everything else about his story is excellent, but that rushed introduction, I felt, was a bit mishandled. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, like you said, like his storyline of he is a cop that um, gets injured in a fire... Um, and it's basically on Best Door. And then a mysterious tech billionaire comes in and says, Hey, if you can uh, sign away, we'll give him health care and we can get him back to the way he was. Giving kind of a, a miracle hope to his wife.
1: He was the totally, totally not Elon no, Musk. No, he's
2: not Elon Musk. He's not like the, <laughs> the tech billionaires. And the commentary <laughs> of that, of just like, with that tech billionaire, of just like, I don't care if there's flaws
1: and I, what I really liked about that is, you know, season one, Yuri's the villain. You know, we can understand where Yuri's coming from; he's more like anti-hero villain. But Yuri's still the villain, and and season one, like that's that's understood. But like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like Mac was the villain here. Like, I felt bad for him because of his situation and because he was, uh, you know, tricked by 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 uh, his name is Sakuma, the, the the actual tech billionaire. You know, so at the end when they had the big fight. It wasn't. I wasn't so much cheering for Joe. Exactly. I, I didn't know who to cheer for. I just wanted a really cool fight, and I, we got
2: it. And also, just <laughs> his his realization of what happened to him, and him dealing with the, the the side effects of the the I forget what it's called the system that they installed into him. Uh, I
1: think I think it was just Bess.
2: Yeah, Bess. Are, where basically he goes into like emotional rages that he cannot control he's not himself because of if he gets to a certain level when he fights um it it basically degrades him to just an angry hulk and him i loved the family aspect of just like what am i doing to my wife and my child and they're not liking what i've become and her guilt over signing his body and life away to this tech billionaire i'm just like oh and it was, it's not like she was, she was doing it for reasonable reasons. Cause it's like, he was on death's door. What can I do? Here's my savior. This can save my husband. It's like, Oh,
1: exactly. So it was such a good way to tell that.
0: Yeah. From what I saw from the promotional stuff, the, um, the second season looked like it had a lot of, of a darker tone than the first
1: one.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, for sure.
2: Not to, and also, I well, I know the the music was kind of minimal in this season. You think so? In in my head, the, the music was except for the opening song. Uh, the opening, the opening to me really stuck with me with the kind of the 1950s guitar twang.
1: Well, it's, it's like a western theme, so they they really went with uh, it being very very western, very you know sort of. I think Latin America was sort of the language Mabanuai had, had described to do it. Uh, I rather described uh, to explain the opening. Uh, So yeah, like it's got a different feel for sure. I I don't know. Like I've been listening, I've been watching a lot of TV now with headphones on, because I've got it hooked up to my computer and and my television. I've been like trying to pay more attention to music as a whole. But I think one of hell, like the one of the main reasons I feel like MegaloBox did. Um, what Zombie Land Saga tried to do, but even better, was because the music was just on point the entire time. Uh, in the first few episodes, we have that Western-inspired music. We have that uh, I think it's the the theme of the mm-hmm. Nomad, or rather, um, I think it's the the song of the Hummingbird. I think is what the ending is called. That it just sort of is a pervasive theme for Chief and the way Chief storyline. Uh, winds down, and this the the image of the hummingbird is constantly uh, shown in the series, and just it, it, it works so well with these this theme in particular. Mm-hmm. And then, as he comes back to Team Nowhere and Jim Nowhere, we see a lot more of the Jock Jams from the first mm-hmm. season show up to the point where at the end of like the, one of the last scenes of the last episode, the original theme of Megalobox, that pumping song that plays whenever Joe does a battle. Uh, that I love so much from the first season it plays for the first time at the end they're like I'm already hyped watching this this final battle happen but then the the actual theme popped up I'm over here pumping my fist like fuck yeah, fuck him up Joe
2: Maybe I was just too enraptured with the story. I just couldn't notice the music. But um Yeah. Yeah, just oh just I could I could go on and um but I would just highly recommend uh Megalobox to Nomad. Um it's not the first season, it has a different approach, but I think that's what makes it great and that's what makes it distinctive. Yes. I applaud the the staff for um, and just doing something completely different
1: I'll say for um, related reading I believe uh, Anime News Network did uh, two interviews uh, with the staff for Megalobox Two. Uh, one where they talked with uh, Mabanua with the music and his inspiration and sort of the influences he was coming into this and also with the director and screenplay writers uh, on sort of the the reason they put some of these themes on uh as well i would highly recommend reading those interviews and we will surely link those in the show notes mm-hmm. all right well that's kind of our, our gushing power hour so uh ryan i think you're <laughs> up next with uh with Higahito.
0: yeah so quick story about this one um my friends and i were reading the uh the previews for the season, and we saw this one, and it was like it was something along the lines of like Salary Man takes in a high school student after she offers to sleep with him. We were like, "Okay, Groomer Show," and we all immediately dismissed it. And then it aired, and we saw a thing that was like, "Hey, this show is actually good." And we're like, "The Groomer Show is good. Okay, let's give the first episode a watch." And so we watched it, and basically what happens is he's a salary man who goes on a date that ends badly, so he goes and gets drunk, and on his way home, he finds a high school girl sitting under a lamppost, and she basically offers to sleep with him in exchange for a place to stay, and he immediately is just like, what the hell, that's absolutely ridiculous, you could come stay at my place, and you don't have to sleep with me, and... So he wakes up the next morning and finds this high school girl in his apartment because he doesn't remember doing this because he was drunk off his ass. And he's just like, what the hell? And uh, then she's like cooking breakfast or whatever. So it seems like at first it's going to be kind of like squicky, but it doesn't actually at all go in that direction. Like she comes on to him a few times and he rejects her every single time. And they both eventually turn out to be good for each other like he's he's an overworker, and he learns a better work-life balance like he starts leaving at quitting time instead of staying late every day he turns down business trips um because he actually has somebody to come home to now and he has somebody to take care of and she learns that she has value outside of being a sexual object which i thought was a very very good message and the show itself just plays out very wholesomely um even though the premise sounds bad, it's it's not. It's actually a really, really good show. I enjoyed it. It It is my anime of the season. Like, I really enjoyed really? it, and I thought that it had a very positive message that not everything has to be about sex, and you have value as a person. And also, you know, the one that Japanese people need a lot of is uh, work-life
1: balance. Interesting. I I wouldn't have thought that... This would have been on anyone's anime season list, but
2: I I have a question. Cause based off the premise, i was afraid like it's gonna be a lot of 80s yuck yuck humor of just like, oh misunder- yeah, no, it's misunderstanding. Not. Oh no Which um based on your description, I'm glad they seem to avoid that.
0: No, it it actually takes itself seriously to its complete benefit, like The thing about the girl, also, is she ran away from Hokkaido to Tokyo, which, if you don't know, that is, like, a long-ass way to run away, to, Like, really long way. So, she had been on the run for, like, six months, and, um... Would you say that she took the midnight train going anywhere? (laughs) Uh, yeah, basically. Like, I'll try to avoid spoilers for the most part, but basically, she experienced something traumatic, and her mother blamed her for the traumatic incident that she had literally nothing to do with and the fact that her mother blamed her for it was like actually evil and um so basically like she runs away and her brother had given her some money that money ran out as you know money does and she basically found some guy who was like you can stay at my place and then after a few days he started asking her for sex so then that's just what she assumed she had to do in order to keep a roof over her head. Is you know go around basically prostituting herself until she runs into Yoshida, who is just this incredibly wholesome guy who's actually like our age or my age at least. Um, wow, thanks, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, she she learns a lot about herself. He learns a lot about himself. And they both they part ways at the end of the series without going too much into how that goes down and they both are better people for having met each other despite the fact that they were like entirely different people hmm. and it was really good. The interesting thing also is it's based off of a light novel that was finishing while the show was airing and it 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 ended like what a, a couple of weeks before the show ended. So they were like working on it simultaneously. And the endings were fairly similar. I think the light novel had, like, a slightly longer ending or, like, had a more concrete ending with, like, just a few extra details. But, all in all, I I highly recommend this one. Like, there are going to be moments where you're going to think, like, please don't sleep with the teenager. But then, you know, he doesn't.
1: Okay. So, at, at least up until, you know, again, try not to spoil anything. So, I don't want to do a will they, won't they. But, like, it's not really that kind of show is what you're saying
0: no it is not a will they won't they because he has a will they won't they with two other women
1: yeah i can see that would be a a weird situation to be in but i'm glad that they didn't actually no it was like it was
0: actually the most wholesome route they could have taken like it was exceptionally well written i thought and i thought that the um the execution was really well done the animation was great also and just like Almost everything they did was like incredibly wholesome. Like, there were a couple of moments that was just like kind of uncomfortable just because of like the situation, but the situation itself was uncomfortable, is the right. thing. So, like, it did a really good job.
1: I'm glad to hear that you know, if, if nothing else, that's the case. Yeah. <laughs>
0: There was another show that I watched this season also that was also wholesome as hell uh, called Osamake. And the premise of that one is like, so anytime you watch a rom-com, most people want the childhood best friend to win. So the full title of this show is Osamake, a.k.a. the rom-com where the childhood friend won't lose. I'm going to guess this is based off a light novel. Based off of a light novel, yes. Wow, I did not see that coming from the title. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There are actually a lot of anime lately that are based off of light novels as opposed to manga, or, like, they're getting adapted into manga after the anime or light novel. Like, it's very interesting to see that happening a lot more lately. But it also probably is the reason that a lot of things are better written, because books tend to be written, you know, more with more detail. So... I'm going to give a brief plot synopsis of this one, and it is kind of a mess. Like, the one flaw of this show is that it is everywhere. <laughs> like, it, it goes off the wall a couple of times. So you have Sue Haru, who is the main character. Uh, he was a former child actor who quit when his mom died on a set. You have Kuro, who is his light-haired childhood friend and love interest. You have Shiro, who is his dark-haired friend and love interest. You have Momo, who is a child actor friend of his and kind of a love interest, though nobody really took her seriously. It's interesting also because Kuro means black and she has light hair and Shiro means white and she has dark hair. So I thought that was kind of funny. But anyways, Suihiro starts off the series having feelings for Shiro, but she says she has a boyfriend. Turns out she was faking it. Kuro confessed feelings to Suiharu, but he said he didn't feel that way about her, but she and him start fake dating in order to get back at Shiro for lying to him and breaking his heart. It's discovered that Shiro is a friend, a friend of his from when he was a child actor, so that also makes her a childhood friend. And he eventually confesses to Kuro, but she shoots him down as payback. The series is then him constantly getting closer to both Shiro and Kuro as they start a YouTube channel together. (laughs) Yes, they all are in like a love quadrangle and are all like, yeah, we're going to do a YouTube channel together because that's a good idea. There's also this third girl thrown in there named Momo, who, like I mentioned, she's a child actor. And she just, like, idolized him. She was in love with him. But he was just like, you're basically my little sister. But she was also a childhood friend. So, the funny thing about the name is that, yeah, the childhood friend's not gonna lose. Because they are all his childhood friends. It's a romantic soap opera. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a rom-com, but it's, it's ridiculous. Like, it goes in so many different directions from, like, the first three episodes to, like, the end of the series. But... I enjoyed it. It was fun. Definitely not, like, best of the season, but it was enjoyable. If you like rom-com, you'll probably like this one. It has a lot of good character development. Like, you actually see him get close to the three love interests for valid reasons, not just like, oh, the way the light hits you, you look beautiful right now. And then he's, like, with that girl for an episode, and then he bounces to the other. Like, it actually is relatively consistent with itself. The one last note about that that I thought was interesting, a-, a lot of the characters in that show are apparently named after Fire Emblem characters. Like, the author is a huge Fire Emblem fan, so he, like, took Fire Emblem names and just kind of, like, morphed them a little bit.
1: So, who is Marth?
0: Um, let me pull up the list, actually. Hang on. Oh, he is. Um, Suaharu is Marth, because his last name is Maru. So, oh, Maru, Maruth. Yeah. <laughs> It's kinda
1: dumb. But yeah. That's pretty funny. Nice little touch.
0: Yeah. I mean it it's like it was mostly just something I discovered in trivia while looking up the show. Like nothing nothing comes from that. It's just kinda funny.
1: Alright. Ah, interesting touch. Yeah.
0: And this one I'm not sure if it's over or not. Like the uh the finale was kind of open. Like there could be another season of it to like further explore, but like if this is it. It was an okay ending. Like, it was kind of one of those, like, rom-com endings where it was fairly open-ended and nobody won and nobody lost, but there was definitely somebody who won more than others, you know,
1: that type of thing. That kind of makes me think of, you know, and also with the title, it makes me think of uh, My Life as a Villainess, where we know that the main character is reincarnated as the, as the villainess, as the antagonist of the story, but she's trying to break free from her destiny, and. And here, it's kind of the inverse, where we have the childhood friend, though, well, technically they're all childhood friends, but very specifically, they want the childhood friend to win.
0: Yeah, well, the thing about it is, like, a lot of people, I've watched this with a couple other people, and we were all like, I mean, they're all technically childhood friends, but you know which one, like, the childhood best friend is that people want to win. Because, like, she was the only one who was actually, like, remained in contact with him through all like the years of between him dropping child acting and when the plot picks up. So I'm like, no, that is, that is the childhood best friend right there. Yeah. I definitely, I do. I definitely recommend this one. If you like, um, rom-com, it was, it was enjoyable. It wasn't like top tier or anything. It was, it was fun.
1: All right. That was, uh, Usamake. Well, coming up next here, uh, very quickly, I, I want to talk about SSSS dynazima. Uh, this was the sequel series again. The last of our sequel series uh, this season uh, to SSSS Gridman from I want to see it was twenty nineteen. The tail end of twenty nineteen, and uh, so this one, just like Gridman, is animated by Studio Trigger. Uh, bless them. Uh, likewise, is a it is a direct sequel. It feels more like a spiritual successor in some in some ways to the original. 1993 Toku show, Gridman the Hyper Agent, uh, borrowing a lot of elements and characters from the original show. Uh, This does follow directly from the 2019 version, but not in a a completely direct fashion. We've got a whole new world with these kaiju invading and destroying the city. Uh, We've got a new cast of characters piloting a combining giant robot the dino and we've got a whole bunch of weird metaphysical revelations that appear by the end of that of what world what the world is what the kaiju are and what our characters play into that as a whole
0: were the kaiju the friends we made along the way the whole time
1: uh there are some kaiju that are friends, yes. Oh my god, I was making it <laughs> up. <laughs> so, sort of. Uh, so the way this kind of starts here, you've got to, you have some high school high school characters, whatever, they're going about their lives. The kaiju show up. Uh, this random dude, very much like a Kamina-esque figure uh, named Gauma, uh, shows up, gives them all little combining robot toys that transform into big versions of those toys. And they combine together to form... Pretty much this Megazord-like figure, the, the Dino Xenon. And the Kaiju are being uh, controlled by a group called the Kaiju Eugenicists uh, that wear these really uh, like idol-looking sort of white uh, military-grade uniforms, kind of. It, it looks very much like a, an idol group uh, getting together to, to sing some songs. But they're, they're trying to summon the Kaiju for whatever reason to destroy the world, Gama's uh, like trying to stop them. But I think the way that Dyna Xenon really succeeds, even more so than Gridman, is I found the characters to be really engaging this time around. In the, the 2019 series, we have, like, one main character, uh, Utah, that transformed into Gridman. And, like, he had some friends, and the, the main antagonist for that show, Akane, like, she had her own story that was touching and, and really interesting by the end. But I feel like the main story in Dinazimon. One of the main characters, her sister, prior to the um, uh, the of you know, the, the series, a couple of years prior, had died mysteriously, and she's very much hung up on that. Uh, there's the idea that maybe her sister committed suicide, but it's not entirely proven, and she's not really sure. You know, she's just really unsure about her own life and what she, what her role is, and 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 everything. And uh coming to terms with that while giant robots are showing up with giant monsters. And they do a really good job of of giving her an entire character arc from beginning to end. That I think tied off pretty nicely. Uh one of the other characters is a thirty thirty something year old meat. Uh he still lives at home, doesn't have a job, and we find some more of his backstory and what has kept him from um trying to uh, go out into the world and socializing, and they're living a more normal life, and that also is a really good uh, resolution by the end. Uh, another thing that makes the D- of work for me was just how well it ties into the original Toku show. It's like I talk about giant monsters and giant robots, you know that that's pretty anime, right? You don't think anything about it, but the way they've animated these battles and these creatures is just like they would be in these big floppy. Uh, Godzilla suits. You know, you watch an old Godzilla film, they don't move fluidly. It moves like there's a guy in a suit, and he, he has these really goofy, awkward movements. And both in Gridman and in Dino Xenon, they, um, they animated just like that. So if you're coming into this, you know, maybe you have having watched Power Rangers as a kid or any of those shows, you know, maybe if you're an older fan of, of, of Gridman, and that actually was localized over here back in the Power Ranger heyday as Superhuman super Samurai Cyber Squad. Uh, I never got it on any of the local affiliate channels back when I was a kid, but I've seen a couple people mention that. If, that. if that's your thing at all, if you maybe if you still watch any Toku stuff or you grew up watching that kind of stuff, I would highly recommend giving both Gridman and Dino on a try. Uh, by the end, there's a lot of really cool combinations, a lot of really awesome, you know, ending abilities that uh, the the main cast uses. It's just a great fan service show, both in just the general fan service for watching this, this, you know, toku as animation thing, but also as the way it plays into the original narrative. And it does in fact play into the original 1993 show uh, in a way you can tie them all together, uh, which I thought was really neat. And I, uh, I think they did announce that there's going to be a third animated Work in this universe. I, I believe it's just going to be straight up Gridman versus Xenon or something like that. I don't really know exactly how that's going to work, but uh, I love what Trigger and Tsuburaya has done with these animated works and I am excited to see more. If you're kind of interested in the, you know the original show at all, you know, I think I think it's on one of the streaming uh, uh, channels. I think it's just like a, a Amazon channel called Toku or something that it's based on. Uh, they are going to be putting out, I think it's Mill Creek Entertainment, the people that do the Ultraman uh, Blu-rays now, uh, are going to be releasing the original Gridman, the Hyper Agent, that just next sense. month. So if uh, <laughs> you're a weirdo like me, you can go check that out, maybe about a month from when this podcast drops. Uh, I'll certainly be picking it up. I've seen a few episodes of the original, and I think I've, I've enjoyed these animated works enough, to where I think uh, I'm going to try to get into Gridman uh, when I can.
0: So how does this one compare and apologies if I sound a little distant I have a puppy who just insisted on joining me up on this chair. How does this compare to like other trigger mech shows like Gurren Logan, Evangelion or um uh Gunbuster?
1: That that's a good question. Um it's interesting because both both of these shows Gridman and Dynamemon are not really done by the what I would call the A team. Uh Imaishi's not really involved at least not directing at all you don't have Yoshinari, it is very much Akira Amemiya, uh, who I think at this point was a little most well-known for the Inferno Cop shorts. And, oh, okay. and it looks nothing like Inferno Cop. No, because like, it this, actually this, these looks these shows like actually, an actual show, right? Yeah, yeah. The, these shows are actually animated uh, completely. Not not like Inferno Cop at all. Uh, so it's been interesting to see uh, Amemiya hop in the director chair here. Uh, I I don't... uh looks like this series is written by Keiichi Hasagawe, but I wanna say the original one was um uh, written nope, nope Keiichi Hasagawa did that one as well. I was thinking of um, I can't remember their name offhand, but the, 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 the dude that did both Grindagon and Kill a Kill and whatnot worked a lot with Imaishi. Uh but no, no, it's it's pretty much the maybe not the I wouldn't say the B crew, but basically the newbies, the, the new
0: um, the new blood the creators, the
1: Trigger, exactly, exactly. Yeah. The, the the new crowd, and there's some shots. I think in the last few episodes, I think the final scene where it's kind of obvious that, to me at least, that Imaishi had a hand. So I'm certainly certainly obvious. He's he's key he animated some stuff, but it's not really his thing, and I like that a lot. Uh, honestly, it, it's it's neat, even for me who's like enjoys the old Trigger and gainak stuff, to see them do something new and do well with It's very encouraging to me. Honestly, so I'd say even if you're not a Trigger fan, there's people that love them like me, and a lot of people that kind of bounced off because of that love. Uh, I'd give both Gridman and any hell even Dino Xenon. If even if you don't want to catch up, just jump into Dino Xenon. There's some connections, but they don't really matter. Honestly, you're not going to be lost. Uh, just just check out Dino Xenon. It's just giant robot beating the hell out of giant monsters and some really touching high school drama. Uh, bake them. Te diu ni yorisota kaaboo makkale pa nata a unkyoni o chitte kuno nani ga mi eru nani ga hi bi that being said, we'll move into our last major discussion point tonight with Odd Taxi.
0: Oh yeah,
1: Odd Taxi ruled. I love it. Uh, I I'll I admit, now that we're Hero Bale, and now that I've seen both Odd Taxi and Megalobox, I don't know which one's number one for me.
0: Yes! <laughs>
2: I, I don't mean to be excited, but um... <laughs> uh, okay, now, I did not get into Odd Taxi at first. Because Twitter would not shut the f up about it, (laughs) and like one person I follow on Twitter described this as like this, like this was like almost like Satoshi Kon was back, and I kind of get it, but also just like it's like "Uh, really, dude,
1: you can at me, Bill. It's okay. You're talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd rather talk to
2: you over voice than Twitter because Twitter conversations never. Lead to anything good, <laughs> but I think for me, just like the first four episodes were were hard to get into because they seem like desperate stories that were kind of like very like dialogue heavy, and they were kind of. I don't mean to use this to be ge- just generic, but it was kind of like a Tarantino dialogue a little bit in the beginning because it's just people talking randomly in the taxi about stuff going on in their lives. Yeah, um, so I wasn't but... the only one who had that thought then. Yeah, but I feel like the show really clicked with me after the first four episodes because then the story started to kind of coalesce together into a greater sort of mystery. And I'm a sucker for a
0: good mystery. Um it had me after episode two. Like I, I've I've only watched up to episode three right now, but um I I loved it so far. Like, it's very engaging. Oh, so we can't spoil it then. No, please don't. don't... (laughs) Well, we
2: tend to avoid spoilers anyway, so. Uh, Okay. Well, without going into spoilers, I like how all the stories kind of grew to interconnect and that what you think are kind of separate stories at first get closer and closer together and all the characters' individual stories go back to each other. And, um, in terms, uh, my highest praise for this show is that, um, if anyone remembers Erased with how great the the writing was in that story, I feel like in terms of writing, the writing in this show is on point and the surprise that happens at the end of just, what's our main character's name?
1: Oda Otakawa.
2: Otakawa's issue. Um, (laughs) I was like. Really surprised because I thought that was there for another reason. <laughs> um, which I was like, that was a really cool surprise. I did not see that coming.
1: Well, there's a couple, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I know what you're talking about, having seen it, of course. But there's a couple of surprises that they, they introduce, and there's like the major mystery. It's not really a spoiler since they introduced it in the beginning, but like, what about the missing girl? And yeah, how come it keeps the camera keeps popping over to Otakawa in Otakawa's apartment? Whenever they talk about the missing girl in this room that's boarded up. He was talking to his closet
0: in, like, the the end of the first episode. So, like, I think they're at least very heavily implying that he took her. Well,
1: yeah, watch the
0: show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it show. <laughs> <laughs> But
1: um, I do. not It's hard to be. It's, like, really exciting. There's so much. Oh, I should just. So I'm a sucker for this dialogue. I, I will watch a show. There's just people talking. Uh, it's funny Like this made me think of um, the show on Netflix called Midnight Diner uh-huh. uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of that but it is a Japanese yeah. live action show that is literally just about a guy who runs a diner that's open from midnight until the sun comes up and every episode is just it talks about one particular person that comes into his diner usually a regular and their backstory and there's no overarching plot really it really just has the, the, the guy that runs the diner the cook and the way he talks about to these people and gives them advice and influences their life and it's just very casual watch and something about sitting down at a bar and just being seeped in these person's stories yeah
2: have you ever watched the anime bartender because that feels like you would love that show
1: i have not heard of it's just called bartender
2: yeah where it's basically that very similar premise to what you're describing Mm, yeah um but I will I will say that you're probably, I bet, Tobias, you were wondering, but Bill, you watched all of GH, and that dialogue is dry as toast. And <laughs> my biggest hung up with, with it first was just like, while I appreciate the visual distinctiveness of Odd Taxi, it's not yeah. visually very engaging for me to look at. <laughs> and unlike LOGH, which has like ships exploding and whatnot in the grandest of space. I- so I,
1: I think I think it's just a personal thing because I completely disagree with you. I think it's I think that's just a matter of personal preference. Personally, I, I you're right it's not like heavily animated, and sure, there's no like you know battleships and stuff, but they give it a texture. I think I was talking to Austin about this, and he noticed that even the line work has this fuzzy texture to it, and all the mm-hmm. there's very rarely anything that's just a solid color. I think some of their clothes are solid colors, like if you go back and look, a lot of the line work has like a Almost like a really rough texture to it, which I find engaging personally. Uh,
2: with without spoiling it, I know the ending has divided people. Mm-hmm. I personally liked it.
1: I don't. I don't know how much we can really go into it without just saying yay or nay. Uh, I loved it. I loved the whole show. The last the last thirty seconds, like Zombie Land Saga, throws a twist at you. It definitely has piqued my interest, and I feel like if we look at this as a murder mystery. Yeah, as a whole, a crime drama. I think it does a really good job of throwing that question at the end of it. You know, yeah. When you think of things like movies, like what was it, like the the big thing at the end of Inception, for instance, like is this still the dream world? Is it not? It's never going to be answered, and that's the mysterious part of it. It's not, it it kind of does something is like it, that. Is it
0: done, end. done, or is there going to be more? It's done, done. It's, okay. it's done,
1: done. There's just a big question mark at the end, kind of like kind of like the end of Inception, for instance, like it kind of makes you want to talk about it and think about it, which eh, I mean, I think, I think that was interesting. I don't, (laughs) I get to, without getting into the the specifics, uh, I have maybe some issues, but I think overall I enjoyed it
0: so far for me. Like it feels very well written. Like you mentioned, it feels Mm -hmm. like a Tarantino flick. The only difference is like they're animals. And like so far that hasn't really made much of a difference. Like, The fact that they're animals is just (laughs) inconsequential, and it's just, like, about this weirdo taxi driver who happens to get wrapped up in, like, a kidnapping plot. Like, there's nothing about the fact they're animals so far that has mattered. Like, it's a well-written show, and they happen to be animals.
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh, The thing about, like, like Beastars, for instance, like, it it was very important to the plot of Beastars that they were animals specifically, but it doesn't really matter... Maybe they are furries. Maybe they're not. It's kind of like a Night on the Galactic Railroad, like the original book. They were just characters, but in the movie, they drew them as cat cat boys. So it doesn't. It's kind of similar to that. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. It doesn't really matter specifically to the plot. Uh, I am glad that you mentioned Tarantino you know, uh, as someone that appreciated his work a lot more. Uh, you know, as a as an edgy teenager. I didn't really want to necessarily bring him up again, but a lot of Tarantino stuff that I've enjoyed even now have been those drawn-out dialogue scenes. We think of, like, the, the diner scene in uh, Pulp Fiction where they're having this conversation that erupts into violence. Uh, similarly in Inglourious Bastards, when they're in the that underground uh, bar. And then there's this huge scene where they play this game before shit hits the fan and they have a Mexican standoff. Like, this... Odd Taxi feels a lot like those type of scenes. And I think that's why I was drawn to the initial dialogue. Uh, One thing we didn't mention was that Odd Taxi is interesting in the way that they recorded the dialogue before they animated anything. So Mm -hmm. whereas most shows, they do the animation first, or they at least get the outline together. Then they use that to write the lines to match the mouth flaps. Well, here they did it the dialogue first. So all the dialogue sounds just like an actual conversation, because it is.
2: Mm. That, that's, that, that makes perfect sense, because this show is so focused on its dialogue, and that is the core strength of this show.
1: And hell, like two, two of the main characters are literal comedians. Uh, bad comedians, but comedians nonetheless. And so I thought that was just a, a really great touch for that. So like well, once we get out of the first few episodes and these plot lines start to come together, yeah, I, you're right, like the mystery itself, the actual... Uh, the actual odd taxi namesake in the uh, in the show is to well have put together a little, uh, you know, a, a dramatic plot point. Uh, another thing I really liked about this was just how these different characters had very modern problems. So you're on episode four so far. You've seen you've seen the idol and the guy that's addicted to the idol girls. And he's like buying lottery tickets and buying, you know, to buy all their CDs. Uh, you might not have seen the gotcha guy yet. I think that's maybe a next episode. There's the social
0: media guy in the first episode. Yeah. yeah, no, I've seen him. He was, uh... He, he was interesting, actually. Like, just kind of like an obnoxious idiot who gets into the cab and then winds up being relevant later down the line because of, like, him spotting the guy that they were looking for. And also his just... His absolute destiny of going viral.
1: So I thought that was neat. So what they did, actually, with this was about a year before the show started coming out, they made an odd taxi or an actual Twitter account for, I think his name's Yabasawa. Um, Kabasawa was his name. Uh, and while the show was coming out, they actually updated his Twitter account with the pictures uh, and whatnot. <laughs> so, if, you know, if you want, you could find his account. I'm sure we'll link it here in the show notes again and look at, you know, what happened in real time with the show and the hippo dude. Uh, mm-hmm. But I found it interesting because like let's be honest his plot line is that it's super relatable like mm-hmm. we see people now addicted to whether it's twitter or instagram or whatever like influencing culture is is here it's huge people are addicted
2: to it and like all he needed to do was just say like i hate twitter i want to get off it and then still be on twitter
1: you mean all then- of us every day <laughs> you. That's, that's the thing. Is it's an addiction. It is literally an addiction. Just yeah. like the just like the uh, the gotcha game guy. Sure, he's not as addicted as as the the gotcha guy, but like he got his self worth from getting followers. He he saw that these other people had more retweets and more likes than him, and he was jealous. He wanted that validation. The
0: thing man. that I thought was hilarious that he goes, he's like, having followers is good for employers. They look at that and I'm like, no they don't. <laughs> exactly. If anything, they look at your social media to make sure you're not like a Nazi or something. Oh, this is this
2: is very minor, but I I kind of find it hilarious that he gets big off that tweet and then he's in school and decides to leave school to focus on social media. Oh my god, I know. Uh, I, was like,
1: I mean, <laughs> you see these kids now, like, in high school and stuff, buying buying houses yeah. from their Instagram earnings. Well, yeah, like, but you it, don't make it's... it big off of
0: one viral tweet. Like, I'm sure we've all had lightning strike at least once with a tweet that just got, like, you said something that just resonated and, like, you get, like, a couple hundred likes. But, like,
1: that's, like... How many people do you know watch Twitch and desperately want to be a Twitch streamer? I mean, Yeah. That's the exact same thing. Yeah. People have get this idea that they're going to be a celebrity overnight, that it's super easy, you know, to stream themselves playing video games and they're going to be uh, a celebrity to be an important person because they play video games for people. And this this is pretty much the same thing. There's an addiction to needing to be, to be an influencer, to be important to people. I mean, yes. what are we doing right now? <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> well, no, like I think it, I think it's it's perfectly like it encapsulates Kawasawa. Like, sure, he's annoying, and by the end of it, you know, he gets his comeuppance. He learns the hard way. You know, good on him. I'm glad. I'm glad that happens. Yeah. Overall,
0: like the characters are all interesting, and like I, I'm very interested to keep watching it myself. And I'm glad that you guys uh, seem to like it.
1: Yes, if you're if you're getting hooked now, I would I highly highly recommend odd taxi i think at the end of the day if we want to if we want to put it like that i think i think odd taxi barely squeaks out ahead for me being a a little more important just because it is new it is fresh it is something that's different (sighs) but man megalobox really that's good man megalobox is great (laughs) yeah watch both seasons watch 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 megalobox watch Odd taxi all good good television
0: so to wrap um wrap on discussion before we get to questions let's go down the line what is your anime of the season? I'll start with Bill.
2: <laughs> I think we already know the answer.
0: Yeah, it's, but say it anyways. It's,
2: it's, it's Megalobox, Nomad, just for its different take on the characters and how they approach it. They didn't just retread water like they kind of did with Zombieland Saga Revenge and just the, the depth of those characters and what happened to them. Like Sachiro... Hating Joe and just going into boxing as a way to as a way to medicate with his issues of abandonment and regret, and it's like uh it just the just the depth of those characters and just the how great the writing was um it's It's not as detailed as odd taxi but it was it was still marvelous and i again i'm I'm so Glad that they were able to get a second season and just go in a whole different way.
1: I guess mine would be uh odd Megalo taxi nomad Wars two. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I don't I don't know. I if I mean if you know me, I'm averse to giving ratings. I I just have I'm done with giving ratings things. I'm done with giving like, you know, scores out of ten and that bullshit. I find it just stupid overall. But, like when you say like what is what is my favorite? I, I don't know, man,
0: like what were you most excited to be watching every week? Like, if you waited till like Saturday, what was the thing
1: you like first watched? Uh, I mean, Otaku is the only one that I watched week to week, and I think I think it's going to barely squeak out of being anime of the season, and honestly, anime of the year. Gotcha. Once uh, all said and done, man, like I don't I don't want to like put down how great Megalobox Box is. Like that that definitely is not a number two. Like they're pretty much tied for number one in my book. Like watch both mm. these shows. they're so good.
0: Mm-hmm. I gotcha.
1: Yeah, for me, it's going to be Higa Hero,
0: like I mentioned. Like, just very well written, very wholesome, and had a lot of good messages. Wrapping up, we got some questions from our audience members. As usual, from Basil, we have uh, about six questions. First off, second favorite uh, show of the season. For me, that's probably going to be uh, those Snow White notes. What about you guys?
1: Well, if I put Odd Taxi and Megalobox as number one, tie for number one, then I would say Dynazenon on as my number two.
2: Alright. And for me, I'd say
0: Odd Taxi is my number two. Gotcha. Second least favorite show. Uh, for me, there's only one Least favorite show from this season, and that's Nagatoro. <laughs> Ooh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I think maybe like I don't know. Like I, 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 we didn't watch all the season, all the shows. So like, surely there's a bunch of trash that we didn't watch. So.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Is like I normally don't watch trash. Like I'll drop it after an episode <laughs> if I don't like it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So like Nagatoro is pretty. We I watched it. Yeah, I watched a surprising amount of Nagatoro. Uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit uh it was i don't know i didn't it's it's stupid i didn't went turned off so much by the horniness but it was just the repetitiveness of nagatoro was like she reminded me of somebody i went to middle school with that i like greatly
0: disliked because they made my life hell so i just (laughs) i couldn't stomach the show i gave it the uh the three view and then dropped it
1: Hmm. yeah
0: i it, it was
2: for me it was it was stupid fun okay like I was like, it's a bunch of, it's a lot of 80s yuck yuck, like, oh no, I did this, oh no. And I just, I roll my eyes at that, but I can also laugh at its stupidity. I gotcha. So.
1: Like, the issue with me, specifically, it was like, it wasn't even so much the horniness. Like, I get it, because they're high school kids, and they're going to be that way. But they told the same joke constantly, like, let's let's get Nagator to, to tease him, but then suddenly the script flips, and suddenly she's embarrassed. And they do this every episode <laughs> yeah. for like 13 fucking episodes. Just just fuck already. God damn. Yeah,
0: basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, next up we bro- got is Loki in an anime and the answer is a definitive yes. Loki is an anime because in the multiverse of oh, no. Marvel there is at least one anime universe.
2: No, it's going to it's going to be Loki as Doctor Who. Yeah. That's the definitely. real answer.
0: And the next question is kabaddi, 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 kabaddi,
1: kabaddi. The what are you referencing here is a show called Burning Kabaddi, which I'm not going to go into a whole thing. Like it's a sports show, but they're playing a game called kabaddi, which is pretty much a major league tag. It's a sport that's really popular in like India and like Asian countries. You can watch the show itself; it's actually pretty entertaining uh, as a whole. But Burning Kabaddi, okay, crazy sport, entertaining show.
0: There's always one weird sports anime of the season. <laughs> so which show of the season do you think Will best stand the test of time Um probably Odd Taxi I would think Of like original you know, shows At least I I don't like
2: the, Well, not if, No offense to the viewer but because there's So many shows that come out like Every season It can be hard for shows to just Stay in our minds Like I bet if I talked to someone They would barely remember Erased
0: even though that show is really <laughs> great, so I just watched a race like this past year actually, and I thought it was really good. But yeah, it's always a crapshoot of what shows are remembered. Like, there's always going to be shows that like people are like, "Oh yeah, that's a good show," but is it going to hit popular yeah, mainstream you, you for can, like, years? You, Probably not.
2: You can never, you can never predict like what's going to stay in the conscious mind of just the animu collective. <laughs> yeah.
1: So then, like the neat thing about Odd Taxi here is that the studio that did it, uh, OLM. They're mostly known for just doing Pokemon, just doing Pokemon. They've been doing Pokemon for what, 20 years that it's been out now. Uh they also did Berserk, the original, the actual good Berserk from 1997. And they've done a lot of like second production stuff, but Pokemon is pretty much what they're known for. So to have them pretty much take the reins on a new project with new directors and new screenwriters, is really interesting, and while Odd Taxi won't get a second season exactly, I am really intrigued to see what this team does and how they distance themselves, if at all, uh, from just being the Pokemon Studio.
2: Maybe they were able to save up enough money from the Pokemon Pokemon reserves to, to oh, make God
0: Odd Taxi. God, knows Pokemon made them a ton of money.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. They're still doing it, I and mean, yeah, every, people complain about the new seasons, but I appreciate the fact that they tried to evolve the art style. Uh, over the years and not just do the same exact character designs. I agree. Even before they, they they did the new sun and moon stuff, which people hate or whatever. Like they were already evolving the design before. They were just more subtle about it. Uh, so I really appreciate them doing something new. And I don't think it's exactly the Pokemon actual, you know, people doing it necessarily. But when I think of OLM, I don't think of them as doing something new and interesting. And Itaxi just is out of nowhere. It came out of left field and it's just kind of amazing in its own.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of the inverse of that, which is kind of the same thing we just discussed. Is what show seems like it might be a a honey or a flash of popularity and then drift away. <laughs> There's really no way of telling. Yeah, it's it's hard
2: to it's say. It's it's, it's it's. I would say it's those comedy shows like Nagataro or, or um, yeah, or like the um the in the current season we're in the, the summer season um like
1: Villainess. I'm going to I'm going to call it now, although this might have I think it might have at least a fan base, you know, that will get it. I'm going to call it now, though. Hot take 86. No one's going to remember 86 in a year. Yeah, I barely remember. Everyone
0: was talking about 86 at the beginning of the season and then just nobody (laughs) talked about it after like a few episodes.
1: From what I understand, it is bad code geese, And that's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: we got a couple of questions from Will as well. He has a couple of questions relating to Zombieland Saga. Which character had the best arc this season?
1: I like Yugiri. I think seeing Yugiri use a sword was pretty pretty badass. Also, because we find out more of the backstory, what's actually happening uh, with with everything.
2: I, I would say Lily, just because she continues her fantastic story arc, and it's going to get bonus points for me because her rival is the voice of Conan, so that's going to
0: help. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and who is your favorite member?
1: Uh, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Sukeban girls. So again, Saki. Saki, best character. She's great. All right. I would let her, I would let her run over me in a motorcycle and kill me.
0: Um,
2: it's either going to be Tai Taichan or it's going to be um, <laughs> the one who... I, I, what's the, I'm sorry. I have horrible names. I know you just said her name. The, the one that had the 2 pointer.
1: Uh, Yugiri, Yugiri.
2: You, you, Yugiri, yeah. Yugiri yeah. would probably be my favorite. Yeah, man.
1: Yugiri had the best arc, but Ty had the best episode of the entire show. Two seasons.
2: Yeah, and the funny thing is, it's just more adventures with a character. You don't learn, like, backstory, and she doesn't even speak. I was expecting her to speak at some <laughs> point. Nope. Not not this season.
1: Yeah. She has a really great thing that happens in the last, the very last concert where she gets to participate. It is amazing.
0: Then he asked, is there a show that anyone missed that you want to watch that wasn't discussed? Tobias, I know you mentioned you had a couple that you had your
1: eye on. Yeah, so Burning Comedy, uh, something that I saw people talk about, and I do watch an episode or two of that, and I think it's neat. Uh, I would want to check it out more just because the idea of comedy is interesting to me. Back Arrow is a mecha show that I think started last season that nobody talks about. Uh, It's apparently a Funimation-locked show, so unfortunately, just like Megalobox Season 2, a lot of the accessibility to that is just diminished because nobody likes to use the Funimation app. The Funimation app sucks.
0: Yeah, it's terrible. Also, it's like another monthly fee, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, like, it might as well be on Amazon or some other service because it's just going to be locked away. When
0: it's Amazon-locked or Netflix-locked, I don't really mind because I have Prime, not even for Prime Video, and I Mm. have Netflix because who doesn't have access to netflix
1: yeah uh so back air is something i want to i've watched three episodes of that and i want to watch more because it seems to be right up my alley and i hear a lot of people talk about i think it's bb Four eyes song uh i know nothing about it i think it's an idol sort of show so maybe not my thing but i've heard enough people say good things about it to at least something i wouldn't mind checking out
0: well bill's the idol expert do you know anything about that one nope okay (laughs) Uh, um for me i wanted to watch the world ends with you animation i haven't watched it yet because i still want to finish the ds game even though that's been on my backlog like forever because i just i've had difficulty getting into that but with the new game on the horizon i'm probably gonna actually do it finally
2: um for me i know gerald from awo complained about it but i because it has moriarty as a character, mm. and I'm like, well, is this kind of like Sherlock Holmes mystery stuff? I'm not I guess, sure. I think it's called
1: uh, Moriarty the Patriot, is the, the title.
2: I think that's the title. And they're on their second this, um this past season was their second season. Mm. So I'm like, just kind of based off the character, I'm like I'd, like, I'd be interested to see what the show is actually about. I
1: remember people talking generally positively about the first season, so we're the shot
0: so thank you again for listening to this episode of the third impact anime podcast Uh, As always, you can find us on our website at thirdimpactanime.com. We have a Patreon as well, Third Impact Anime. You know, just toss us a couple of bucks and we may let you produce an episode. And our social media, you can find us at at TI underscore anime on Twitter. And for individuals, Bill, where can people find you? You can find me
2: retweeting about Hearthstone, Lupin the Third, or Good Artwork. Um, at W B Foreman F O R E M A N nine nine nine. Usually, mostly just
0: retweeting. All right, Tobias. What about you?
1: Uh, I'm likewise on Twitter uh, at Reverend underscore Tobias,
0: and you can find me at Midshelf Ryan. And you can also find my YouTube channel Midshelf Gaming. Currently working on reptile uh reptile games, so be on the lookout for that in the next couple weeks. Go check out their video backlog. So in addition, now that the whole, you know, plague thing is kind of over, we're going to start to appear in cons again and to be doing panels. So uh, be a, be on the lookout for us at any local cons. And uh, we will be announcing on our social medias if we'll be appearing at any cons. I think the next one that any of us are going to be at is Queen City Anime Con in Charlotte uh, in August. So, yeah, just be on the lookout and we can... Um, and we will update you at what we're going to be at and we look forward to actually seeing people in person again for like the first time in a year and a half
1: I don't I don't want to see anybody anymore
0: yeah I don't want to see you I've either been
1: so. I've, I've been in my house in a year and I'm I'm never leaving again nah it's
0: terrible like my work is like hey we want you to come back and I'm like yeah I just got a dog I'm kind of good here <laughs> <laughs> alright well thank you again for listening and we will catch you on the flip side Cierto viajero de amor, desesperado quería morir.
2: Muy agotado ya iba a parar, pero un coro le cantó. Cuando su canción él escuchó, al instante se sintió feliz. Su
0: bello canto.